Well, we want to take a few minutes and study Torah together. Let's pray. Baruch atah Adonai, l'heinu melech ha'alam, asher kidshenu b'mitzvatav, v'tzivanu la'asot b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. This week we're reading about Karach, the rebellion, the mutiny of Karach. And as I was reading about the headaches that that he brought to Moses, I really felt compassion for Moses. And I thought, can't Moses even get a break? Can't people go out of their way at some point to thank him for his leadership? He's getting nothing but surus from those who he is trying to serve. And even though Moses, you know, has passed away, and now he's spending eternity with the Lord, and this is long behind him, as I was reading about the agony of, of this episode, I just felt for the guy. And then I made a connection between the Torah portion last week and this week because I was, I was thinking about the spies who went out. And they were to, to bring back intelligence and a report about the condition of the promised land in order to prepare Israel to go into the land that God was giving them. Ten came back with a bad report. And you know, those that came back with a bad report they not only had a bad report about the promised land, they had a bad report about God's plans. And they had a bad report about God's leaders, and they had a bad report about everything, and you know what they really wanted to do? They wanted to go back from where they came. They wanted to go back to Egypt. And when I was thinking about that, I made this connection in Numbers chapter 16. Let me read to you just some of the, uh, the initial passage. Number 16.1, it says, Now Karach, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, Levi, with Datan and Aviram, the sons of Eliah, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, they took men. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the community, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. So this is a large group in opposition. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves because the whole congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? These men were already leaders but they were discontent and they were complaining and they were not content with what God had assigned to them. They wanted what had been given to Moses and to Aaron. Moses confronts them in verse eight. Here now, you sons of Levi, is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the work of the tabernacle? of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve them and that he's brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi with you. And are you seeking the priesthood also? Now that word for priesthood is interesting. It's kahuna. So when you think of the big kahuna, that's the high priest. (laughs) 
Therefore, verse 11, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you complain against him? You know, I think Moses is saying, I understand why you wouldn't like me, but he's a nice guy. Well, verse 12 is what I want to focus on. Moses sent to call Datan and Ahiram, the sons of Eliab. These are Reubenites, these guys. They're not sons of Levi. And he says to them, come up. And they, they respond, we will not come to you. We're not coming. Is it a small thing? You see, they're using a little bit of his language and they're trying to turn it around. Is it a small thing that you've brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey? Do you see what's motivating them? The same kind of stuff that motivated the spies. Bad attitudes, wrong perspective, wrong understanding. They're not thinking about where they're going and what God is wanting to do, and they're not seeing the leaders as the ones God is using to help them get there. They're looking back in the wrong way with regrets that they left Egypt. And they're saying, we were in a land of milk and honey before you took us out. Look at the text. Is it a small thing? Meaning, you want us to ignore that you brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey so that you could kill us in the wilderness? And, and you keep acting like you're a prince over us. Not only that, verse 14. You have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. What are you going to do next? Put out all the eyes of these men? We will not come up to you. Wow. You can see what's really in their heart. They're angry. They're bitter. They're resentful, and they are accusing Moses of being a failure. You've done two things wrong. You took us out of Egypt, which was a land flowing of milk and honey, and where have you brought us? Nowhere. We haven't come into a land flowing with milk and honey. It's as if they're saying to Moses, you're a loser. You think you're, you're powerful. Well, look at us, 250 plus of us. We know what's right. We're taking charge. That's basically what they said. And they became mutinous. I really felt for the guy, for Moses. Because this is a moment, don't you think, when it's good to retire? <laughs> or it's good to quit? Or to say, you want the job? Take it. Fine. But Moses understands something. He understands his calling. And he understands that solving this problem will require a spiritual solution. This is not going to be solved by winning arguments or trying to win friends or trying to be persuasive if God does not step in. There's no hope. And that helped me understand something. That sometimes we've got natural problems that can only be solved with spiritual solutions. 
And of course, there are natural problems that need natural solutions, but in this case, Moses understands something. He should not just try to rally more people. He shouldn't say, well, you've got 250, I'll get 500. You've got an argument, I'll make a better argument. You're trying to be persuasive, I'll be more persuasive. He doesn't fight them on their terms. There are times when, when we make a big mistake and we think that the only way to solve a problem is to do something that's like the problem. We think our solution is gonna look like the problem looks. As an example, when Goliath was challenging Israel, natural minds would say, we need a bigger guy than him. They've got a big guy, we need a big guy. They've got a powerful champion, we need a powerful champion. They've got an incredible warrior, we need an incredible warrior, and then they look around. Who's bigger than Goliath? Nobody. Who's almost as big as Goliath? Nobody. Who's willing to, to fight him? Nobody. What are we gonna do? Die. That's our plan. Let's get defeated. When you see your problem, your natural problem, and you don't realize this natural problem needs a spiritual solution, you'll just look at the problem and think, I need something like that. But what was the solution? Nuclear weapons. Machine guns. That would have surprised Goliath. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, the solution was a little kid. Does that make sense? No. Hafuch. Upside down. God works in upside down ways. He knows how to take situations that are impossible and use an upside down solution to fix them. There are times when the solution to a natural problem is going to be a spiritual solution. There are times when you go to the doctors and the doctors have no solution for you, but you fast and you pray and there's a healing and a breakthrough for you. You can go and try to solve this problem or that problem and not be able to do it, but when you press into God, you find he has a way. You see, God delights in using the foolishness of this world to reveal his wisdom. And so there are moments when God will work in a spiritual way to solve a natural problem. And we need to be prepared for that. Moses understands that. He understands that in this situation, it's not just going to be solved with a natural solution. That encouraged me. There are traps and there are perils in this life that are revealed in this passage. One of them is this, that when you're trying to move forward, you can give up and just go back because you think it's too hard. And you can, you can be one of those people who says, you know, Egypt was pretty good. A lot better than the wilderness. 
You may be in a wilderness situation right now and thinking, I, I don't think I want to end here. I'd rather go back where I came from. And when you do that, you give up. You give up on what God has in mind for you and what's ahead. And if you give up and you want to go back to Egypt, you'll be like the children of Israel who were looking for leaders who would take them back and take them to another destiny. There's another trap and peril in life, and that's to give in to a complaining spirit where it begins to rule over you, and you just become against and negative. You can't see the good. It's always wah, wah, wah. And instead, as I said last night, at looking at life through rose-colored glasses, someone said you look through smoke-colored glasses, and everything looks bad and dingy and hopeless and awful but it looks clear to you, and so it seems accurate and real to you. But we know that we're in a dangerous situation when we're just complaining about everything. It's a warning sign for us about the condition of our, of our own mind and hearts. Another, another peril is when we become discontent. We have to learn to be satisfied in different circumstances. You may be in a challenging circumstance right now, and it may be necessary to find contentment now. Paul said that he's, he had learned to be content in all circumstances, and he learned to be content with plenty. How many of you have found it's, it's easier to be content when you've got plenty? Of course. But he also learned to be content with little. How many of you can confirm it's hard to be content when you're in lack, when you feel like, I don't have what I need? But we can learn to be content, and one of the ways we do that is, is not by giving up on our hope, and it's not by giving up on our ambition, it's by being grateful for what God has done, and knowing that, and trusting that he has something good ahead, that this Present difficulty is not the end, but it's something that we're going through. Now, something else I noticed in, in this passage. Several times Moses calls Korah a son of Levi. And you know what he's saying? Brother. Because Moses is the son of Levi. And he's saying, oh man, brother. That just helps me see something. Family problems can be the worst problems. And sometimes the people who are closest to us can produce the most heartache. And we have to be careful to join ourselves correctly with God and our family so that our family is joined with God. Because when the family or one member or several are going against God, it's gonna have a special effect on us. It was really hard on Moses. It's clear from this passage that Korach and those with him were jealous and greedy and envious. They wanted what wasn't theirs. They wanted what belonged to another, to Moses. And you know, you can, you can see people be jealous and envious and covetous in different ways. Sometimes people say, uh, when they hear someone else is blessed, they say, well, why should that person be blessed? I should be blessed too. 
So that, that's not necessarily bad. It can be turned into good when you realize that there's more that's possible for you and you say, I want that too. And then there are times when people say, why should he be blessed? I want what he's got, take it from him and give it to me. That's very dangerous when we're thinking like that. And that's how it was for Korah. Korah did not want Moses and Aaron to be successful. They wanted Moses and Aaron's success. But they didn't have the calling. And so they wanted in their natural strength what God had decided not to give to them. And that just tells us how important it is to focus on the things that God is wanting to do for us. Now the last thing that really was stirring me was the fact that there's a spiritual battle that's going on. Ephesians chapter six is where I'd, I wanna encourage you to turn. Some problems first appear only at the human level or at a natural level, and because of that, we may think that they will have a natural solution. And the spiritual side may not be really clear. Ephesians 6 will help us see this. But as we're preparing to, to look at this passage, I want to tell you a, a story about uh, a time when we were in Budapest. Sandy and I lived in Budapest, and, and we were building up the Messianic community there, and we worked with a, a wonderful woman, Kati Shua Hanbauer. She's since been married. And uh, Kati really felt a call to serve the Jewish community of Holocaust survivors in Budapest. And she was an unusual woman because she is a gypsy. And sociologically, people would say, well, how can a gypsy serve Jews? Kati didn't think like that, and I'll tell you why. She knew God called her. And she had a heart. And so she thought, well, if God's calling me, he knows what he's doing. And if he has a heart for me to do this, I can say yes, and I can do it. But over, over the many months after she started, she had a little bit of frustration. I, I, I'll never forget some of the days when we talked and, and we just took counsel together and tried to encourage her, and she said, you know, I'm serving, but I don't feel like I'm getting the fruit, the people turning to the Lord that I want to see. And so one night, they were having a gathering of Holocaust survivors. It was a special gathering just for them, this group. And this, I'll just explain it the way it happened. Kati just closed her eyes. She looked up to heaven. And she prayed the most simple prayer in Hungarian. Urakevalo. How many of you know what that means? Mm. <laughs> That's a Hungarian word that only Jews use to address God. It, it could be translated eternal one, even ancient of days, or you know, Lord Almighty. There are a variety of ways you can translate it. The Christians in Hungary never use that term. Only the Jews do. 
And she just prayed, Erda Kevalo, come, in Hungarian, like that. And to tell you the truth, she didn't expect anything to happen. Because she was a woman of prayer and she had prayed many times. But at that moment, the Holy Spirit fell on the Holocaust survivors and started healing them, which she didn't expect. She wasn't ready for. A woman with a severe long-term heart problem got healed. It was later confirmed by the doctors. Many years later, almost a decade later, the doctor said, we don't know why you're still alive. You shouldn't be alive. And she said, I'm alive because the Lord healed me. An older Jewish guy, an architect, got touched by the Lord. Afterwards, he started going around to his friends, all Jews, and saying basically this, Yeshua is the Messiah, it's a fact. <laughs> and some people would say, well that's your opinion. And he'd say, no, it's a fact. <laughs> and he led many people to the Lord. And, and God used him. Now the reason I'm bringing this up, the reason I think it was brought to my remembrance is because this was a spiritual solution. It wasn't in Kati's power to do these things, to heal anyone or touch anyone in this way. She had been faithful doing what she could do. But at that moment when she was praying, it was in desperation and in faith and expectation and God responded. She didn't make anything happen. She responded to what God wanted to do. Now, natural problems may have a spiritual solution like that. Natural problems may be obstacles as well to spiritual goals. And one more story about Budapest, then we'll, we'll read the scripture and close. Back in 1988, 1990, 1998, 1999, Sandy and I felt a call to move to Budapest, and we were making plans to move to Budapest, and I, through the help of my doctors, discovered I had a blockage in my heart. And I, it required angioplasty, which was immediately effective, the rest of the heart was fine, there was just one spot. But what also was required is that I had to slow down. That was really hard. And, and to rest for what turned out to be three months while we waited for the doctor to give us clearance that we could go. Now this was upside down to us. We're trying to move forward, we're trying to move ahead, and we, could not have imagined that we needed to stop. Maybe you've been in a situation like that. You wanna press in, you wanna, you wanna go, you want to, to resolve and accomplish what's been set before you, but something's stopping you and it may be the Lord's hand. And so we needed to, to, to deal with this natural problem, change diet, do what our doctors we're telling us, deal with the physical health, taking rest, all of those things were important, but you know what the temptation was during that time? The temptation was to say, 
well, in light of these problems, I guess we shouldn't go. When you have natural problems sometimes, they can actually be obstacles to your spiritual goals and you need to take a stand, press into God and say, God, did you call me? Did you assign me? Did you give me this work to do? And as I did that, I discovered that I needed to hold on to the spiritual goals that God had given me, to serve him and his kingdom, to raise up shepherds for the house of Israel, and to move forward into that land that God was calling us to. And so I had to hold on to the goals and press through the natural problems. You may have natural problems that require that you take care of some details in a natural way, in a practical way. What's important is don't let the problem stop you. Press into God. And if he affirms and reaffirms to you the goals that he puts before you, don't let the problems stop you. Deal with the problems correctly and then move forward from there. Now let's look at Ephesians 6. Verse 10. Finally, brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Let's say this together. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in in what? In the Lord. Now you may have natural strength, you may have talents, you may have abilities. This is not talking about that. That's a separate issue. This is talking about the spiritual battle and how you get through it. Be strong in the Lord and have confidence in your faith. No. Be strong in the power of his might. Don't fool yourself into believing that you have such great faith that you can accomplish everything. Because you'll start trusting in yourself and your faith. The fact is, God can accomplish everything. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. How much of the armor do you need to put on? All of it. So that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the adversary. Sometimes we get defeated because we don't put the armor on. We go into a battle zone and we're ill-equipped and we get knocked out of the battle because it's a spiritual battle and we don't have spiritual weapons with us. Verse 12, This really crystallizes an issue. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Moses understood that. The battle was not a human level battle. We wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. You know what Russell means? Hand-to-hand combat. It gets personal. When you're dealing with spiritual battles, it gets real personal. And you know what? The enemy is not really polite. There's, it's not like there's a referee out there who says, okay, gentlemen, no hitting below the belt. 
no gouging eyes and this, and everybody has to play by the rules. Now, the first thing the enemy does is hits below the belt. Tries to poke out your eyes so you can't see in a spiritual way. Tries to knock you out of the battle. And one of the favorite tactics of the spiritual enemy that you have is he likes you to think that the battle is with people. That that's all it is. It's just, a, it's just personal conflict. And if, if you fall for that, you'll only use the human level weapons and skills that you have. But there are times when the only way to victory is through prayer and fasting. There are times when the only way to get a victory is to see the spiritual battle and the spiritual component of the battle. Therefore, verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Now that presents a picture. You're in the battle and at the end of the battle you're left standing. Last man standing wins. If you get knocked down and knocked out and that's the end of it for you, you're not standing. Verse, 20, verse 14, therefore stand, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the good news of shalom, and above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Oh, that's so, so important and so powerful. You can resist effectively the fiery darts of the evil one. How? The shield of faith. You lift up that shield and that shield is used in many ways. You proclaim your faith in God. You declare God's faithfulness. You lift up the word of God as a weapon that you have and a protective weapon. And it extinguishes fiery darts. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, and so forth. What, what the apostle is saying is you are in a battle. Can you tell that to someone next to you? You're in a battle. You're in a battle. You are in a battle. Okay, now look at him and say, I'm in a battle too. I'm in a battle. You're in a battle, I'm in a battle. We are in a battle together not against each other, with. We're with each other battling the work of the adversary against the will of God. And God's plan is that we would have victory. That's what he's looking for. That's what he wants to give us. And we need to see that spiritual battle. We need to pay attention to it. To it. 
We need to engage it to fight the spiritual battle and to be victorious in it. Now here's the funny thing, the, the initial manifestations often of a spiritual battle are in the mind, in the heart, and in the body. So sometimes you can have a conflict with a person that can just make you feel miserable. Anybody identify with that? <laughs> All of you are going, yeah. <laughs> or you just can't get your brain to think right. And your mind is going towards defeat and towards loss and so forth. Anybody relate to that? Yeah. That's a sign you're in a spiritual battle. And it's important to pick up your weapons and start fighting, pray in the spirit. Well, what if you don't know how to pray? Pray in tongues, pray in the spirit until you know how to pray. One of the reasons why the Holy Spirit is given to us so that we can pray spiritual prayers that then combine with prayers of understanding and can become powerful. Pray in the spirit. Pray for the person, not against the person. Ask God to bless that person, not to do harm to them. Fight the fight. Fight the good fight. Put your trust in the Lord and in the power of his might. In the days to come, maybe even this weekend, you're, gonna, you're going to have a realization, oh, that battle, that difficulty, that challenge I'm facing has a spiritual component and thus a spiritual solution to it. And I'm going to pray differently than I have been. I'm going to act differently than I have been because I want the victory. Now, if you want to go back to Egypt, there's always a way. <laughs> there's always a way. But we're not going back, are we? Right? We're not going back, we're going forward. Kadima, Kadima with God. God has a forward direction for you, for me, for us. And we are gonna keep moving forward into every good thing that God has for us. And what he doesn't give to us, we want him to give to our kids. And what he doesn't give to them, we want him to give to our grandkids. So that generation after generation keeps moving forward with the Lord. That's why we're here to proclaim from one generation to the next, the wonders and the faithfulness of God. Well, I wanna pray for everybody who needs an upside down breakthrough who needs help for their spiritual battle. Maybe you've had the realization today that what you were struggling with really has a spiritual component to it. And so it's not just psychological, it's not just medical, it's not just intellectual. There's a spiritual component to that. And if you've had that realization about your situation, stand up because I want to pray with you and I want you to pray together for all those who have that awareness in that situation. And we can just, in the simplest of ways, say, Lord, we need help. We need to take on that armor and to use the spiritual weapon, not just the natural weapons that have been given to us. And Lord, I pray that we would have sechel, we would have perspective and wisdom, and we would be perceptive of what's going on. Help us understand the nature of the spiritual battle that we are in and how to move forward into victory with you.
And Lord, we pray for your hafuch power to turn the works of the enemy upside down, to bring good out of difficulty, and to bring victory out of conflict. We ask this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. If you're by yourself, why don't you move and stand with somebody else? Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ya'er Adonai panavelecha v'yichunecha yisa Adonai panavelecha v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you peace. In the name of the Prince of Peace, Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to the Oneg. Why don't you meet us there?